Autism Through Cinema. Welcome to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, investigating autistic presence and expression on screen. In today's episode, the team discussed the 2017 romantic drama Keep the Change, directed by Rachel Israel. We will be screening Keep the Change at our Autism and Cinema season at the Barbican in London on the 28th of September 2021. The screening will be followed by a Q&A with Professor Stephen Eastwood and members of the Neurocultures Collective. Tickets are available via the Barbican website, and we very much hope to see you there. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of the Autism Through Cinema podcast. My name is David Hartley. I'm joined today by uh, Janet. Hello. And Alex. Hello. And Georgia. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back again for another recording. Uh, Today, uh, we are going to be talking about the 2017 uh, romantic comedy, uh, Keep the Change, directed by Rachel Israel. Um, This is a really interesting film, particularly interesting because it features a a cast with many, many autistic actors in there, uh, including the two main protagonists. David and Sarah, uh, both of whom are portrayed by autistic actors. So I'll just give you a little bit of an overview about uh, what this film is and uh, what it's about. Uh, The main character of Keep the Change is David Cohen, who is a sort of aspiring uh, filmmaker, is a young man, and he has uh, been enrolled into a kind of um, a sort of social program at his local Jewish community centre in New York. Uh, and he sort of feels as if he's, he, he doesn't really belong there. And this uh, social program uh, features uh, multiple um, neurodivergent people, um, although it never really explicitly says exactly what, but it, it's clear that they're, they're all neurodivergent. Um, and while they're, whilst there, he sort of reluctantly gets involved with various activities that are happening, and he becomes kind of entangled with uh, a... A young woman called Sarah, who he is a sort of assigned to do a kind of homework assignment with, and gradually uh, a, a romantic relationship uh, evolves between hi- himself and Sarah, and um, and the rest of the film really is about the kind of trials and tribulations of them navigating this this new whirlwind romance that they've uh, that they've got themselves into. The film also features uh, David's parents, his mother Carrie and his father uh, Lenny. Uh, Carrie played by Jessica Walter and Lenny played by Tybor Feldman. Um, and I will just say as well that uh, that David is played by um, a man called Brandon Polanski and Sarah by Samantha Elisofen, um, both of whom are were at the time, I believe, kind of non-professional actors. Uh, Jessica Walter and Tybor Feldman are a little bit more recognisable and they play... Uh, uh, David's mother and father and it's particularly notable I think that his mother in particular played by Jessica Walter seems to be somewhat in denial about uh, David's neurodivergence and the intention is I, I believe that he is supposed to uh, attend this social program for a period of time because he's been sort of mandated to go to it by a judge um, at which point when he uh, when he passes through the social program, he is uh, intending to move on. And I think the intention is to move to Florida. Um, and yeah, and then the only other thing to say is that David is an aspiring filmmaker. And so he's a kind of a, a creative. And uh, there is a little moment halfway through the film, which I thought was interesting, where we get to see a little film that he's made. Um, and yes, the most uh, interesting thing potentially about this film, I think one thing that's going to dominate our discussion is that um, there are a lot of, um, non-professional autistic actors in this in this film, and that Rachel Israel um, purposely cast autistic actors to play these various roles, and also that she based the story of this film uh, on 
the actual real life of Brandon Polanski. So Brandon Polanski, who plays David, was a friend of uh, Rachel Israel, the director, and he is autistic and he had uh, uh, he developed a, a, re- a relationship in real life and Rachel Israel decided that she wanted to dramatize this and, and turn it into a uh, into the, the romantic comedy. And that's where the that's where the kind of intention began. And as soon as she decided that she wanted to cast her actual friend Brandon in the lead role, um, apparently everything else sort of led on from there. So that's Keep the Change. And I'm very interested to hear what other people made of this film. I think there's a lot to discuss, so I will uh, open up the floor. What were people's reactions to watching a predominantly autistic cast in a film like this? Yeah, well, I mean, it's quite refreshing, isn't it? Um, You're relieved of all that tension where you have a a neurotypical actor sort of, um, you know, putting it on and, and the, the offence and insensitivities that come with that. So it's very refreshing. And then I guess for me, I was quite, uh, at, in the first maybe 20 minutes, I was thinking about um, to what degree are they sort of, the actors sort of performing their own experiences, how biographical this might be, which is maybe much more relevant for the David character, Brandon's sort of uh, based on Brandon's life. But then I totally forgot about it, and I just enjoyed it as this great romantic comedy. I, I, I did, I did really enjoy the film. I think, um, I, I guess we have to be not worry too much about spoilers because you know we're going to have to assume that people have seen the film in order to really engage with this podcast. But um, you know, the ending in particular really, really hit me in the chest. Uh, my partner too. We sat down to watch it as well, and we were just sitting there crying in the credits. It was great just because it was so uh, touching, really. These, yeah, I mean, what's not really, what we've not really discussed in the um, intro is is that, yeah, the trials and tribulations, obviously, in, in normal romantic comedy fashion leads to sort of division and tension and falling out and some sort of reconciliation as well. And uh, that sort of closing moment when we realise the title of the film has uh, contained within it this reveal that um, so Brandon's character is quite flashy uh, with money. He's his parents are obviously well off, and and they provide him enough financial freedom for him to sort of get cabs around town. And and he's always saying, "I'll oh, keep the change," and you know, hand over the cash. And it's like a sort of it's a sort of symbol of um, decadence, really. And it seems like it's a signifier of like, look at my sort of flashiness, even comments on it when he's taking Sarah out on a date. But, you know, in this final moment, he's trying to chase after Sarah to to um, apologise for for really humiliating her, actually. And he's never gotten on buses. He, he really hates them and uh, gets on and, and is just totally crushed at this moment where he can't figure out the change for himself and uh, we, we don't know that all the way through the film he has this narrative of sort of denying his um, neurodivergence and sort of even describe himself as normal you don't want to be like those other people at the, at the community center you want to be like me I'm normal and yeah it's just it's just this moment of vulnerability that he spends so much time masking uh, to the extent that the audience is is totally sheltered from the, the knowledge that he struggles with numbers. And then, yeah, he has to rely on Sarah, who's, you know, presented throughout the most of the film as, you know, almost as if he's humouring her sometimes. And uh, she she's sort of looking up to him to a degree in certain points. Um, and then he has to really show his vulnerability and uh, she helps him get on the bus. And, yeah, it just really hit me in the chest. It was just... Uh, it made me think a lot about, um, you know, just how much we all rely on other people and how, how, how tough it would be without the support that we've, we've sort of developed in our communities and our close relationships. Yeah, I, I, I was struck by, um, by how the, the beginning of the film, we, we see things pretty much through David's eyes, as, as you're describing, Alex, that we sort of see his denial about uh, his autism and uh, and his positioning of other people in the community group as kind of quite strange, quite uh, quite 
quite weird for him. He has his sort of parental view, his parents' view of of these other people. Um, and I think for about the first 20 minutes, when we see him going on a date um, the, where he's, he's arranged um, online and he goes and meets this woman in a cafe outside, um, and the minute he ticks, he has that nose tick, um, she departs, you know, she's off, she says, makes the excuse of going to the to the toilet. Um, and that that first kind of setup of in the film, I sort of thought, mm, it, it felt a bit uncomfortable. But I think what was what's so brilliant is the way in which we move with David in, in res- his response to the other characters in the film, particularly Sarah, um, who is, you know, so open, so positive, so optimistic about life, so um, <clears throat> clear about what she enjoys, her appetite, her appetite for food, her appetite for sex. She's this real kind of blast of fresh air into his life. And, uh, you know, we see him gradually warming to her and then gradually falling in love with her, um, as as is the trope of the romantic comedy. And I, I thought that the film the film really worked in keeping the difference between them, between David and Sarah, not just in terms of, uh, you know, his denial of his autism and his, his recognition, but also just in, in who they, in, in who they were, you know, his, his unfiltered jokes, her spontaneous singing or her, her, you know, her, her enjoyment of performing uh, soprano um, pieces, um, her, you know, endless descriptions of, of what's what's happening around her and her her uh, delight in in everyday sayings like you know take a chill pill uh, the lie of the land go with the flow all, all of that way of speaking um is very much her you know the yummy and the tummy description of of the lunch with the parents that absolutely horrifies his parents um all of that is great and I think she has this you know this this awareness of herself that she's you know she's a good positive force in the world and she's she's enjoying things um which makes his his criticism of her when it when it comes to it, his embarrassment of her singing in front of his friends um all the more painful and and then we get you know in response to that his kind of slightly awkwardness his reliance on jokes his slight pessimism his his sense of something terrible having happened to him when he shows her this film and and the way in which his life changes, as we see in that film, that after his uh, the graduation from high school, um, the way in which he images this happening in in his life, which I guess is his his diagnosis or his understanding of um, himself as autistic, that he images in this you know series of catastrophic moving images of nuclear explosions, um, building collapsing, and so on. Um, and so, you know, the encounter of, of these two people, of how of how they operate in the world, how they view their lives, how they how they view the opportunities that life presents, um, I found, you know, really, really moving and um really funny. I thought the film was absolutely hilarious. And uh and I love the fact really that that Sarah kind of wins wins the day really winning winning him over and, and, and winning him over to her her way of seeing. I mean my my experience of watching the film was quite um mixed just because um I I cut out I cut out of my head that this is a film about autistic people and I just experienced it as a narrative and and right from the start I think David is an absolutely the most unlikable character you could you could find and you just there are so many reasons to not like him and I think throughout it I kept bringing myself back to that and just having so much contempt for the character but in hindsight it it sort of makes it all the better because at a certain point as the film goes on you realize a lot of these attitudes that he has of um his classism and his misogyny and denying his own um, neurodiversity actually comes from his family and especially his mother who denies that he has autism at all which stops him from um, seeking the help that he needs or connecting with the people around him especially Sarah um, and I found that um, a really good progression for him to realise because I think 
as autistic people, that is quite a common sort of progression that we have of having a stage of denial influenced by our environment or how we're brought up and then kind of accepting who we are and then being able to embrace that community and I think looking back I think all the um, unlikable characters and I think it all helps to sort of normalize uh, neurodiversity especially in um, like a romantic comedy like this because it doesn't um, force itself to idolise every single character and put everyone on a pedestal and preach so much, you know, toxic positivity about autistic people because having been around a lot of communities of autistic people, you know, it's not everyone has to be nice all the time. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of people and that's another thing I really liked about the film is how it showed how one autistic person is not going to be the same as another Uh, and a scene that really struck me is when Sarah and David go on the carousel and for her it's sort of an experience of sensory euphoria and she really enjoys these uh, adrenaline rushes of these theme park rides and so she takes him on it reluctantly and he starts to um, become very overwhelmed. He's bordering on meltdown and he, 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 his um, sort of discomfort comes out physically. And throughout the film, he passes this off as allergies because it, it, he's trying to deny the fact that this is his reaction to um, s- some certain stimuli. But it really shows how, how different the experience can be across, you know, the spectrum or across different people with autism. Um, And I think that was really important to show. Um, And it really, yeah, it gave the characters a lot of dimension and really says, you know, you can have multi, you can have a full cast of autistic people and not one of them is going to be the same. And I think I, I really, I really appreciated that. And of course, like the the casting of uh, neurodivergent people, because it really does show that it is possible. You don't have to make so many excuses about um, the production environment and things like that. You can make it um, a safe and manageable environment for autistic people or autistic actors, because there are a lot of autistic actors who just don't get opportunities like this. So yeah, I think... While watching the film, there was things that I didn't enjoy just because of the content of the film. But looking at it from a representation point of view, I think it's a very um, yeah. I think it it's it does a lot of good and it shows a lot of different films that this is something that you can do and you don't have to avoid it. Um, we were talking about this, Georgie. You mentioned the scene on the carousel, and I, it was one of the more tense scenes from the film. Um, as was the sort of bus scene that I mentioned earlier. But I mean, the other sort of uh, sort of flagship tension moment was when they're at a sort of dinner party type situation with with David's famous cousin or the actor cousin. Um, and Sarah sings and, and David senses that it's sort of um, maybe inappropriate in that moment and he shuts her down. All of these um, most dramatic and, and sort of divisive moments within the film uh, take place under the sort of gaze of neurotypical supporting characters, uh, either sort of extras or or sort of uh, secondary characters. And I thought that was very interesting sort of dynamic, the idea that some of the most tense moments of when, when the characters aren't um, sort of among their peers and, and, and in an accepting environment, but sort of having to um, conduct themselves in front of this, yeah, this neurotypical gaze and how affecting that can be, how pressurizing that is. And I thought that was, yeah, something that made me think about, um, yeah, just the sheer power of, 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 you know, those young girls on the carousel looking back at Dave and sort of, you know, and, and I've certainly seen it, um, uh, in the real world, in, in sort of physical reality, this, this sort of power of onlookers and how that, um, um, can make you feel or make other people feel it's very self-conscious and I think it's um, yeah it's maybe a message to sort of 
the takeaway, just how, um, yeah, I think I've made my point. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. And actually, you know, while I was really in that scene um, where David sort of tells uh, Sarah to stop singing because he's because he's in front of his his cousin that he who he sort of idolizes and his cousin's friends who are all these very kind of swanky beautiful kind of um young young couples uh yeah i you know i was at that point obviously very disappointed at, at david and, and it was a quite a devastating scene and i actually thought that um samantha ellis sofans uh, acting at that point was particularly good. I mean, she just looked so completely crestfallen and so damaged by that moment. I just thought that was that was a really powerful um, piece of acting and a powerful, powerful moment. But it also made me really angry towards those neurotypicals, and it and it made me think about that um, that sort of process that sometimes that neurotypical people do in a situation like that where they kind of just sort of sit quietly you know make those kinds of like slightly awkward faces at each other roll their eyes and don't really address what's happening or 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 intervene or or help they just sort of let the let the sort of negative situation unfold and sort of stay back from it and I thought you know yeah that 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 was a a really sort of nice uh, reflection upon how uh, you, neurotypicals of this kind don't know how to really kind of incorporate neurodivergent people within their sphere. And, you know, this guy, Matt, Co- Matt Cohen, who's um, David Cohen's um, cousin, who's the actor, famous actor, um, you know, he's being really nice to... Uh, to David and sort of to Sarah and bringing them over to sit down. But then as soon as Sarah's singing starts, they they don't, you know, don't make a sort of point of really supporting her or really encouraging that to happen. And then eventually they all sort of drift away as well. And they all start going down to the beach and away from her and leave her alone. And she's sort of, she's on her own. And I thought that was really heartbreaking actually to see that happening and a, and a real indictment upon how, um, how in, in situations like this, there's just like kind of, no place for for neurodivergence amongst a lot of neurotypical people, and it was it's a really sad thing to see. But yeah, I mean, I agree with a, a, a lot of everything, what everyone everyone's been saying. Um, my own experience of this film was, yeah, at the beginning I was the same, George. I really didn't like uh, David at all. Um, I, I thought he was annoying, and I thought he was uh, very self important and um, snobby, and and just just not just an unpleasant guy but it that that does help you to get round to feeling feeling like he's been won over and it sort of emphasizes the vulnerability in that final scene as well um on the bus uh so it it, it did win me round certainly but as, as, as soon as uh, as soon as sarah comes into it it started winning me round because she was just an absolute absolutely luminous character i thought she was just wonderful she was a lot of fun to watch um, very well performed and just a jo- just a complete joy on the screen all the time, and uh, yeah, and so yeah, I thought it, that the film really really turned by that point. It is worth saying as well that that David has a, a a really particularly nasty streak in him. There was a nasty moment where he's he's got upset and he's gone uh, he's stalking down the street and the, there's a there's a homeless person there and he starts really laying into this guy who incidentally interesting a little bit of trivia the homeless person was played by the director's husband and uh, you know he starts really shouting and screaming at this guy who's just asked him for it ironically has asked him for some spare change given that David's got such an emphasis on 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 money and and change and uh, yeah, it just starts really laying into him, and it's a really horrible moment. And and I think, but I think you're right, George, about what you were saying. How that like films about aut- autism and autistic people tend to sort of turn all these autistic people into angels, and like n- never doing anything wrong. Or if they ever do anything wrong, it's a kind of an error, a mistake. But actually, David is quite nasty at times and vindictive at times. And and yeah, and we do get the impression that that maybe filters down from from his parents. Um, it is worth saying about his parents. I don't know if any of you are f- fans of Arrested Development, the comedy, but his pe- his mother is played by Jessica Walter, the late Jessica Walter. Sadly, she's died recently. Who 
his perhaps, perhaps most famous role is Lucille Bluth in um, Arrested Development. And I just could not see her as anyone else. She was basically playing exactly the same character <laughs> as she does in that, in that film. So I was really ready to laugh with her because I think she's such a great com- com- comedic performer, Jessica Walter. And she's like that Lucille Bluth character from Arrested Development is a really great comedy character. Um, so I, I found it a little hard to, to not find her funny which is not the point of her character at all, because she's actually, if anything, she's like kind of the main antagonist in the film in many ways. Um, she's the one that doesn't let David have any, um, have the freedom that he wants, or she, she's sort of denying his autism all the time. And I just kept imagining her talking to to, to Buster in Arrested uh, <laughs> Development, so I couldn't couldn't keep a straight face with that. Um, but then the only other scene I wanted to sort of note as another scene that I thought had a little element of tension in it is when she meets... Um, the parents and they have that kind of um slightly awkward um dinner with with them where they're eating the soup and they're slurping the soup while she's while she's uh, talking about how well she's just she's a very she's very hyperverbal and she talks a lot and she makes that slight faux pas when she talks about um sexual intercourse and the fact that they've slept together and both of the parents have just got this look of shock and horror on their face because they clearly never really thought of their son as a kind of sexual person, nor do they necessarily think of this woman, Sarah, as a sexual person necessarily. And that was the other, one of the other great strengths of this film, that it really shows um, the not only love, but also the you know se- sexual element of autistic lives, which is something that is still considered quite a, t- a taboo and still something that is that is not um, properly considered or there is this assumption that autistic people are asexual or, or are not involved in any kind of sexual activity. And yet in this film, there is a real, a gently, it's sort of handled in a gentle way, but there is a real emphasis on the fact that these people are sexual. They make dirty jokes. There is there is a kind of sex scene in, in at the halfway point um, between Sarah and David, and I thought that was really important and really uh, welcome and refreshing to see that 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 portrayal as well. I I thought that sex scene was was quite extraordinary. Actually, I thought it was um, really interestingly shot and in the way that you could see the negotiation between Sarah and David with what was happening that she's leading him and telling him what she likes um and we can also see his his apprehend apprehension I think there's something also I agree with what you said about about seeing um autistic characters as as sexual um, and, and I think that we have that with Sarah a lot and we have this this stuff about appetite, you know, her sexual appetite, her appetite for food. Um, and David's sort of holding back from that. But she's also perceptive and, you know, she's she has this awareness. She, she can read him. She reads his difficulty. Um, she 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 understands him and, and moves towards him in ways that are very caring and um i'm thinking about when he turns up at, at her her apartment and he's he's had that awful conversation with his with his mother about florida and uh, and she just strokes his face she goes towards him and strokes his face and holds him and she doesn't know what's happened we we assume um but uh she you know she can take care of him she can read him she she understands him um and what, uh, whereas what David tends to relay is, you know, his 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 understanding of the neurotypical world, as as we've said already, that he's he re, you know he understands that that's what he brings to their encounter, and I think it's that those those differences between us that you know we see David's David shift in that that he brings less of that neurotypical judgment and inhibition um, towards the end of of the film. The film is really about his the arc of his development away from that neurotypical um, prohibiting uh, judgmental gaze towards her much more open uh, invitation to, to life, you know, to enjoy life, to, to engage fully. Um, so I thought, I thought the film also set up some questions about belonging and what, what it's okay to belong to and what it isn't, who wants to belong to what group. And I thought that operated around Jewishness um, there's, you know, David tries to present Sarah in positive light by saying, you know, and she's not just a girl from some crazy house. She's she's Jewish. You know, you'll like that. 
Um, and there's quite a lot about Jewishness in, in the film. Um, also the stuff about class that is less kind of obviously flagged, but it's, but it's there in, in, I think Alex was already mentioning there's the way in which David travels around town in a, uh, in a car with a driver. Um, and in contrast, Sarah's, um, you know, much more uh, working class background um, for which she is not apologetic. And there's that great moment. I, I laughed out loud when we, she introduces her grandmother and as her grandmother walks off, having offered him a cocktail, and she says, oh, that's my grandmother. She's an alcoholic. Um, it, she's got perfect comic timing, I think, that actor. Uh, it, was, it was a really, really funny scene. Um, but she's not apologetic for the things that she belongs to, to the community um, of, uh, of the divergent community in which she is a performer, um, the you know her class background, her Jewishness, whereas David feels very much more kind of you know part of that hung up, tight, tight lipped um, sense of having to belong to certain things, certain groups that uh, are not necessarily positive associations, but but positions from which you know you might judge from quite a superior um, point of view. Worth, worth noting as well, it's also really nice to see the, that, that there is a, a focus on a, on a neurodivergent community here. There is a group of, there's a friendship group effectively that emerges out of the, uh, out of the sort of social program um, that, uh, you know, so that it doesn't just become this little thing that they all have to go to every, every time. And there are some scenes where, because um, you did get quite a few scenes of the social program where there is a there is a, a a person, I believe her name. I believe the character's name is Karen. Potentially, I'm not quite sure. But there's a person who's sort of leading the group and is giving them activities to do and homework to do, and it feels like it's almost like a classroom setting in some ways. But then later in the film, you get uh, that sort of fades and disappears, and it becomes replaced by an actual um, community of friendship group of these people who all at one point you see them all gathered in a in a in an apartment. Um, for show tunes Friday, uh, where they're all like sort of sharing their favourite show tunes from various places. In another scene, which is actually really interestingly com- complexly tense in many ways, because it, you get there's a kind of little reveal in that scene that Sarah, in fact, already has a boyfriend. We didn't know this at this point um, that she's she's actually already at the, you know the girlfriend of a another member of this group. Um, the the guy, the kind of guy who's always, who's always like kind of DJ who seems seems to be playing music everywhere, um, and so there's kind of an element of tension that's introduced into that moment, which is interesting because it just sh- it also shows that there are <clears throat> complexities within a community like that as there would be with any kind of friendship group, um, and then also later you see um, one of the one of the main figures within this group who has uh, written a play and is putting a play on. And um, there are re- scenes um, uh, in that group where they're kind of all together and rehearsing and Sarah is kind of a key part of that performance as well because she's she's singing as part of it. Um, and, um, yeah, I, again, I don't really got a sort of wise point to say about this, but it on, only to say that, it's, that it was nice that there was so much emphasis placed upon uh, a neurodivergent community that doesn't always have to have a neurotypical person present in order to be an anchor and that it actually can survive upon its own on its own uh, strengths. And I think later we also have a scene where, um, uh, you know, they're towards the end where their kind of relationship is toasted by this group and, um, uh, and they're sort of talking about true love and, and that kind of thing. Um, So yeah, that was another thing I thought was really positive in this. And I I was really glad to see that it was included. I mean, that said, I mean, the whole sort of drama between the, the sort of, uh, perceived adultery and um her explaining actually you know we're in an open relationship that whole narrative thread was totally abandoned and never really resolved and it seemed uh, you know thinking back actually like was she did she really have an arrangement for an open relationship is this guy are they still in a sort of triangle uh, he seems to just slip off into the <laughs> into the ether this this third character um, as they sort of eke towards this concept of uh, marriage, even though I think that's not that was a sort of that, that's not never actually realised within the narrative of the story. But um, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting that 
that that path has opened up and totally unresolved and um it doesn't seem to be uh i was thinking when that happens like okay so now we're actually entering into a romantic comedy about polygamy or polyamory sorry and uh and that definitely wasn't what it was (laughs) at all yeah well i i thought that was a really interesting storyline as well but i did i did think it was played out i thought that it, I was surprised, you know, when, when when we get that reveal in that scene that she's she's having, uh, you know, a thing with with the other guy in the group, and then and when she makes that speech to him, it, it's a brilliant speech when David says, you know, but but you've got a you know you've got another boyfriend, what's happening? And she says, but David, there you know there's just so many fish in the sea. <laughs> it's so funny, and it's and it's so true, you know, and and of course there are so many, you know, are many people in the world, you know. If if one opens oneself up to it, um, it's just. A, I thought that was a brilliant moment. But I but I thought that the I thought there was some. I thought there was a shift there where she understood that 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 would hurt him, um, that that you know that that would cause him a degree of pain and and it wouldn't be possible to be with him. And so she moves in in his direction with that, and and she's no longer going to have those relationships, um, where you know it, it sort of sets up. Uh, a movement that we see repeated later when he realizes after the awful scene where in front of his cousin where he you know pulls her down for for singing um and and he really hurts her so i you know i thought there was some some parallel in the film about about recognizing when we um when we overtread you know when we when we cross the line with someone when we're getting to know them um and we suddenly realize that they've We've we've committed some kind of um, error and 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 cause pain, although albeit quite unwittingly. I think this idea of um, David being a, a, a highly unlikable character at the start is quite interesting. You know, he he makes some pretty racist, misogynistic jokes, and it's sort of like, well, am I am I meant to sit here and think, oh, it's okay if he does it? You know, that seems like a very um, patronizing situation to sort of project outwards. So really, we should be judging him, this character, on his behavior and his, what he says. Um, so we, I think we really are meant to think of him as a nasty man at the beginning. But I think the film, the film does quite well of sort of opening up the motives for some of this behavior. We see very clearly that uh, as soon as this sort of, you know dreadful scene where he humiliates Sarah concludes he's you know immediately jumping in with a joke and it, and it's clear it's this sort of mechanism he's developed to sort of fill the void and and deal with um silence and not knowing what to say go back to a joke uh, and also you know we talked about um his abuse of a homeless uh, man on the street and I think I thought it was quite clear that that was tied to the sort of internalized narrative from the parents of like, what's going to happen to you when we're gone. Um, and it seems, and he, he's very open at the beginning about his sort of phobia of homelessness. And it's sort of presented at a point as just disgust, like, oh, I, I can't, you can't deal with this. Um, but it, I thought it was quite clear that it was really one of his, terrors one of the things that haunts him the idea that he could easily end up in this situation without the support um he's currently receiving and maybe that's those are the some of the things that along with his relationship with sarah that sort of help us see uh him as his flaws as being sort of not justified but certainly explained um as the narrative develops um yeah i thought it was really significant how a lot of the conflict in the film and uh, the problems were not caused by, well, apart from the mother, but wasn't really um, caused by the uh, by neurotypical people and their uh, misunderstandings of neurodivergence and their sort of the sort of violence that we see from them in a lot of films featuring autistic characters, where it's it's the innocent, you know autistic person versus the violent neurotypical which is is a reality but 
I think what the film covers really well is the sort of internalised ableism or the internalised hatred that David has um, for himself and then in turn his community and the people around him. Because I think that's a very real thing. Once you're brought up in a certain way and you're conditioned to think about disabilities uh, in, a, in a certain way, um, that is actually in, inherently about self-hatred as well that that can be your main obstacle and the great thing about Sarah is that she she sees everything as sort of an open door when a lot of the time autistic people are sort of brought up to think that a lot of doors are closed off I mean I certainly have because there's a lot of things that I can't do or that I can't experience because it's too much for me but actually Sarah sees that as other opportunities that are open for her and then for that reason she lives life very to the to the fullest um and in the opposite way David is David is very closed off because he doesn't see those doors as open because of his own because of holding himself back in that way so I'm I think it's really important that it showed that a lot of that um doesn't always come from um directly from neurotypical people obviously in this case it's indirectly from his neurotypical or supposedly neurotypical family um which in the broader sense is how is how that works but nothing is caused by you know like someone on the street saying hey you're autistic or why are you being like that um so yeah it was nice to see that kind of develop within them because that is a lot of a lot of the time that is the kind of struggle that I have um and it feels like something is being represented truthfully, which I don't think you get a lot of the time when... Because we've talked a lot before about how you represent neurodiversity and disability and what is ethical. Um, and I think, whilst it's not perfect, I think this film hits a lot of the right points and is quite truthful, from my experience anyway. Um, and it doesn't rely on stereotypes or tropes and instead embraces individual characters and their own idiosyncrasies and their own interests, which is, yeah, it was very nice to see. It, thinking in that frame, Georgia, can I, uh, can I, can I ask you what you thought of, of David's film? Because I thought that was one of those moments in the film, which is, it kind of seals this intimacy even more strongly between him and, and Sarah when she responds to the film and she says, you know, it was very powerful and all of these things about it, except for the ending, which was really confusing, she says. You know, she just doesn't understand uh, or, or doesn't identify with the way in which this narrative of this short film would um, would, would set up his his life as a you know has a disaster having happened you know just just to recap again that you know the, the short film that shows him as a child it's drawing on home movies it shows uh his bar mitzvah it shows his high school graduation he's going to a prom with uh, a beautiful young woman um and then this is intercut mixed with um images that are, you know, found footage images of, of a nuclear explosion, of different explosions of a, a boy being hit by an adult, I think, at one point. Um, it's a whole series of of sequences, very short sequences, that seem to be about being completely crushed or destroyed by something. Um, and I I found that really fascinating because we've we've we'd heard David speak about his his creativity and his movie and about how this was his cousin was going to help him get into Hollywood. And then this, what the film reveals is, is, is his backstory, or how, how he views his backstory, um, which, is, which is very negative, um, but, but also very, very symbolically told in terms of using these images of destruction. Um, yeah, I just wonder, I, I wonder what, what people thought of that. Um, well, I was watching it and thinking he watched like the Bruce Connor movie and thought, oh, this is great. <laughs> I'm going to do the exactly same, the same thing. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting because like you say, Janet, that is how he sees his life. He sees post-childhood, post-graduation and into adulthood and dealing with 
um, his neurodiversity in reality is sort of a nuclear explosion and prison and all these terrible things. And Sarah sees that completely differently because I think she's had a different experience because she hasn't really been taught to to demonise that side of herself and she, she doesn't see herself as a failure in that sense. Because I think... David is still kind of holding on to the disappointment of his parents or his parents not fully um, realising his uh, neurodiversity. Uh, and that's that kind of becomes externalised through his filmmaking, which he kind of turns into, you know, a gift, like a positive thing, you know, I'm going to go to Hollywood and all that. But it doesn't really externalise in his life. He doesn't really recognise that struggle you know, in front of others, but it does come out in his behaviour, like, towards the homeless person and towards himself. Um, but I thought the Sarah's reaction was very interesting because I think it really shows how different their attitudes towards their own autism, how, how different that is and how um, one's upbringing and how someone is taught to view themselves is, is really different. And... Like we mentioned before, she's very empathetic and she can read through that. Um, and she's very perceptive, which, again, busts another myth about autistic people that we can't empathise and we can't um, we can't be perceptive of other people's feelings. I also was I also found that that, that moment where you see us uh, hit the short film that you made. I also found that really an interesting moment because it was a sort of um, a kind of glimpse almost into into kind of his his own aesthetic choices as a filmmaker um and uh one of the things that i i sort of was slightly concerned about with this film was that i always i always felt like i was a neurotypical person watching this film through the lens of a neurotypical filmmaker i assume i mean i think rachel israel is, is neurotypical and it sometimes did feel even with all of the positives of this film, it did feel like we were kind of watching these people as like exhibits in a zoo in a way. And I, and I, and I, and that's partly to do with the fact, partly to do with the kind of way it was filmed, I think. And, and, and that it's kind of just got this fairly, fairly normal aesthetic really. But then when we get this guy's, when we get David's film, it was some, there was some, there were some artistic choices in that in that in that in that movie. You get this kind of it's a sequence of home home videos that are sort of put together, and then yeah, all this kind of explosions, and it was this sort of broken up footage, and it's staticky, and it's kind of um, I don't know. It was like a little little art film in some ways, and it was interesting that they chose never to really fully address what the um, the nuclear explosion and the sort of dark imagery was supposed to reflect. I think the idea is that, yeah, you're supposed to get the idea that this is when he, this was the point in his life when he realized he wasn't normal or neurotypical necessarily. And, and has kind of struggled with that. And this was the only way that he's found or managed to sort of express it. And even so he still can't quite come to say to express it. And at that point, she doesn't ask him, you know, why did you put all this bleak stuff on the end? She just says that she doesn't understand it. He doesn't offer explanation of that either. And we as a, as a audience have just kind of got to infer, I think what, what we've, what we've seen there and what we've got on there. And that's actually quite a, that's a quite big thing for us to do as an audience member. And it's a sort of, I, I thought it was quite, um, yeah, it was an interesting choice it was an interesting choice not to sort of confront it directly and to say um this is how he perceives his own autism his own his own divergence his own neurodivergence uh, but yeah i did think it was interesting as a kind of example potentially of a little snippet of of a kind of cinematic aesthetic that 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 aligns to uh, to david's neurodivergence um and his his way of seeing and way of thinking about himself and about the world around him to the extent I would like to see more of his of his of his films I think he does sort of he has these kind of aspirations to go off into Hollywood but I sort of thought no you want to be a quirky little independent filmmaker making strange little films that mess around with 
symbolism and imagery and and the ways in which you make and create um you know hollywood isn't quite the right setting for him it felt like in some ways um and it's also interesting to note that that that, that it's the sex scene i think that immediately follows this moment i i think unless i'm misremembering that there's a because they're they're on that bed together aren't they when they're, when they're watching that and so she moves from so it's this point where he's sort of exposed his own vulnerability a little um is the point at which they sort of their relationship then moves on to the next stage so it turns into a into you know the the the, the most romantic moment um so it's clear that she that Sarah is kind of open to that sort of um that exposing him exposing his, his own vulnerabilities in a way um it's also interesting to note as well uh, one of the things i wanted to 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 mention was the fact that she she defines herself as having a, an ld as a, having a learning difficulty a learning disability um which again was i thought was quite important as another thing that doesn't tend to feature very much within uh hollywood narratives or necessarily within narratives about autism generally you don't tend to get uh, films that are about autistic people who also have learning learning disabilities and what's really refreshing and nice about about the character of sarah in this regard is that she knows that she has learning difficulties um she doesn't seem to let that get her down or let that get her feel you know make her feel oppressed she sort of knows her own limitations she knows that she doesn't necessarily understand certain things all the way through. David is telling jokes that she doesn't get at all. And that is a kind of a level of miscommunication between them that she just doesn't understand it. There's a, a very labored and quite sexist and racist joke that he tells in the park at one point um, about sex dolls blowing up. Um, and uh, she gets a bit agitated and not necessarily because of the content of the Oh no, she does. She does actually sort of recognise the content because she does say, you know, this sounds like it's quite racist and offensive. And he says, well, it's about to get even more racist and offensive, and it does. Um, and she's kind of visibly quite uncomfortable about that element, but she's also quite uncomfortable about the element that she doesn't quite understand the joke either and doesn't understand what the humor, where the humour is. Um, but instead of like retreating into herself at that point, she sort of says, you know, you need to, ex- you need to explain to me some of these jokes so that I can understand them. I want to understand your humor. I want to understand your jokes, but I have a learning difficulty and I don't always understand them. I don't always get them. So please explain them to me. Um, and she's saying things like, you know, maybe I should wait for when you, when there's a gap and then I can sort of come in and say, I don't understand what, what this means. And I thought it was really good because, um, yeah, the learning difficulties and learning disabilities are, are rarely, so like kind of honestly shown and are often again much like autism is kind of wrapped up in various stereotypes and cliches but here we have somebody who does have learning difficulties who actually acknowledges and embraces those and 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 doesn't have it isn't a kind of albatross around their neck um it's a it's a part of who they are and they she seems particularly content about that and Again, I thought that was really useful and particularly useful then when she, yeah, as you say, Janet, she's a very perceptive uh, character. And, and of course, when we then get to that ending, that moment where he's really struggling to count the change in the bus and she comes over and helps him. Um, it's an, and again, another really great demonstration of like, you can put these labels of autism or of learning difficulties, learning disabilities upon people, but that's not a universe, you know, that doesn't give, give universal difficulties across the board about everything she's perfectly capable of getting on buses and traveling on buses and she enjoys doing that and she's perfectly capable of going over and and helping him figure out the the maths of the change in, in his in, with his money and it just shows it was a really neat way of showing the uh, the kind of divergence and 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 the sort of web of difference uh, that comes through those kinds of labels that are applied to people just in response to this idea of her um struggling to get the jokes in the first act. I mean, towards the end of the second act, we have her at the big family party where the uncle is there. And presumably he's the sort of inspiration for all these cheesy jokes. He, he seems very keen on telling them. And uh, I think he tells one to Sarah and she gives it a second and she's like, oh yeah, multiple meanings. And it's this, it's this great gag in the actual film. But it, but it ties into this idea of sort of, you know, well, 
I'm interested, David, do you think it undermines the, the initial sort of representation of learning disability as like easily resolved? Okay, so she's jumped over the hurdle. Or is it just a, a sort of a realistic and, you know, honourable representation of someone who has not as much advantages as other people, but sticks, sticks to a task and basically gets ahead around it gradually? Yeah, I think what's important to say there is that sometimes in our heads, potentially when we hear the phrase learning disability or learning difficulty, that can often translate as inability to completely learn at all. And, and actually, that's not what it means. It means that it, it, it's, it can be more difficult for certain things to be learnt by 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 individuals who have learning difficulties but they do learn things and they do and they they will at their own pace understand understand certain mechanisms and certain uh, ideas and um yeah and that I, not only yeah that was a really wonderful moment actually so i'm really glad you mentioned that because it did make me laugh and and her delivery of that line was particularly good multiple meanings and it's like yeah you're right and it's great um and you know she's clearly got such joy and energy at that point as well for having sort of clocked it and understood it and um yeah i think that's that's really again another great subtlety of this film is it does show that that that, that people with learning difficulties or learning disabilities um needn't be written off and um won't always you know there will be opportunities for people to grow and learn and evolve uh, as as anyone would do um so yeah and it did remind me a little like i occasionally mentioned my sister in the, on this podcast who is autistic with learning difficulties and um you know there are there have been occasions in the past where we've been sort of surprised by little jokes that she's told or or jokes that she's got ununderstood that we didn't previously think that she would have done um and uh yeah it does happen you know the the connections are made and the and uh, and it's uh, it's a, it's always a real joy when it happens but it's it's like it's always a reminder not to not to not to not to write people off as always not understanding yeah i think there's also in that moment when the uncle's telling that that, that long joke and she says multiple meanings that that she also sort of punctures that awfulness of the moment of the joke you know when someone's telling you a joke you're just subjected to this story that you might not want to hear often they're offensive We've sat, she's sat through an awful lot of those in the film. Um, and by naming it, you know, rather than sort of being in it, she, she's outside of it and names it, that's, that it puts her in quite a powerful position. So, you know, these things aren't really funny, but I do understand what you're doing. You know, <laughs> it's a pun on multiple meanings. Um, so, yeah, I thought that, that potentially that, that gave her quite a lot of, of, of power and, and dignity in that moment. There was another point that I, that I wanted to talk about in this film, which is the question of control. And this was one of the disturbing things that the film the film raises, which was the way in which the parents support, in inverted commas, and, and so-called care of their son uh, manifests at times as, as extreme control. He's, you know, he's a grown man, he's an adult, and yet they are they challenge his ability to make decisions about his relationships, whether he's allowed to have a sexual relationship, whether he's allowed to have a relationship with this particular woman, whether he's allowed to bring her to Florida when they're going to Florida. Um, I found that really quite disturbing um, and, and, and a very interesting point that, you know, it, he has all of this, um, uh, you know, material wealth and purported care um, uh, uh, that frames his life whereas we see Sarah you know getting on the bus she has an alcoholic grandma and so on her life is 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 much less um uh kind of what supported by people around her and and with those sorts of material resources um and yet you know she's she's much freer for it so there's some there's a way in which the film sort of upends that sense of you know wealth bringing you lots of entitlement and good things. Actually, it's the um, it's it, it's the way in which which wealth can manifest as as control, which I think is a very broad 
um, point to make. You know, there are many situations in which women are controlled by male wealth, for example, many ways in which wealth manifests as, as control. And I thought this film was really interesting in that. It did make me wonder a little bit, though, about uh, about Sarah's life. And although it's quite sort of amusing and uh, at that moment where you sort of meet her grandma and she says she's an alcoholic... You know, that's that's sort of a moment that's kind of played for laughs in a way. But then uh, the sort of other way of thinking about that is, is there difficulties there? Is, is this her only, you know, because she is quite still quite a vulnerable person, is Sarah, and she's autistic with learning difficulties. She does have this support network of the support group. But is her alcoholic grandmother the only person that she can, that she, is, is that her, the person who is kind of her I don't want to say carer but the sort of person who's responsible for her and and that that's a difficulty and I didn't think that that they ever addressed that really and and uh, to to a certain extent although I really loved her character I I sort of did wonder if Sarah was sort of drawn as a little bit of a kind of fairy tale figure um uh who's whose background you don't really get to see who's um you know, almost, almost impossibly free in a way. Um, and I, and and when they were talking about, I don't know, it's complicated to talk about this. It's, it's difficult because you're right. There is there is a, a narrative of control there, and there is a kind of question mark over that. And her, David's parents are particularly particularly his mother is uh, uh, very controlling. And when he's talking about going to Florida and taking Sarah with him. I I worried about the fact that if that was to become a re- reality, would that take Sarah away from her support network and from her, um, from her, from where she feels happy and comfortable? She does say at one point that she's lived in New York all her life, um, and if he was suddenly to upend her and take her to Florida, and and she doesn't actually have any, and and it's just the two of them, and they don't really have any kind of. Well, it's not maybe not even just the two of them. It's the two of them and David's parents, who would, who continue to be toxic all the way through and never really get resolved into any kind of, um, you know, acceptance of Sarah. Is that going to be problematic? Is that going to be difficult? Is that uh, are we pre- being presented with a bit of a fairy tale version of it? There, I don't know, um, because I do as much as I really like Sarah and think she's wonderful, and it's great to see that she's so independent and free and is able to go out and wander you know and take buses and go to various places wherever she wants to she is still she still could be a vulnerable person and would still need sort of a a kind of network of support looking after her it's a good i don't know it's a tricky question and it's a question that the film never really quite seems to um address or or find a solution to yeah this i this i mean the film confronts lots of important issues around agency and um, rights and, uh, you know, particularly in terms of, like, depicting sex between two neurodivergent characters um, was, like, felt quite radical at some points. Um, But then, you know, these humour is sometimes slipped in to undermine the authenticity or the also the weight of those situations. I thought it was particularly stood out to me when they play the the joke of oversharing about their sex life in public uh, twice, uh, once in front of the parents at the dinner table, once in front of the cousin and his friends on the uh, deck or the patio or whatever. Um, And the second time, the conversation quite quickly moves on to contraception. And they set up this joke where Sarah misunderstands the meaning of condom and thinks they're referring to condominium and I just thought that was such an unusual joke to undermine her an opportunity where they could say yes we were uh, able to act responsibly and use contraception instead it sort of veered off into this like sort of radical expansion of irresponsibility where you don't even know what a condom is um, and so I, I thought that was a really strange choice in the script um, and almost a bit disappointing that these characters weren't able to explain that they were able to have consensual sex and, um, you know, know what they were doing and act responsibly. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it was... I'm glad, Alex, you you said that. I thought that was a really interesting point. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I, I was, I was absolutely in my mind, I was thinking about consent and about how, um, how Sarah's very, an interesting character in that respect that she's, you know, yes, she's vulnerable, but she's, do we see vulnerability as, um, something that needs protecting and that, and that protection can go into control. It's just, it's just really interesting. All of that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that you're right. I hadn't really thought about the, the condom condominium joke as undermining of of her of her agency that yeah interesting i mean maybe it's a, a a testament to the film that you forget so often that it's scripted yeah and you think about mm. these characters as if they're playing themselves mm. but it is it's all written by someone else <laughs> it's true yeah. Well, um, we, we have been talking for over an hour now um, about this lovely film, so maybe we should uh, wrap things up there um, and uh, uh, bring, it, bring it close to this episode. So, uh, yeah, that was our discussion on uh, Rachel Israel's film Keep the Change. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. And also thank you to, uh, to Janet, to Alex and Georgia for your comments and your thoughts on this film. Uh, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time with another film to look at. Um, But in the meantime, goodbye. You have been listening to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, hosted by Georgia Bradburn, John James Laidlow, Alex Whittleson, Janet Harbord, and David Hartley. Big thanks to Leverett Jakes for editing this episode. Our theme song is Waterfall by Meter under a Creative Commons attribution from Null Teal Records. The Autism Through Cinema podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project, based at Queen Mary, University of London, and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on the project, please visit autism-through-cinema.org.uk and follow us on Twitter at Autism Cinema. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or musings, please send them to us at cinemaautism at gmail.com. We'll be back again in two weeks' time with another slice of neurodivergent cinematics. Bye for now.